Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. We're going to talk about healthy biblical relationships. Um, you know, life is all about relationships, right? What, what's, what's life if we're not having relationships? I guess, you know, maybe if you're stranded on an island by yourself, but even then, you know, I, uh, you can have a relationship with a volleyball, I heard. I said, uh, yeah. So tonight, this is actually, we've got two, two sessions, so tonight we're going to start um, uh, with just talking about basic principles, what does the Bible tell us about relationships, and, you know, and that's hard to narrow down, right? The Bible is full of relationships. You're reading about people, you're reading about relationships. So let's, uh, let's, start, let's, let's start with prayer. Let's pray for our Bible study tonight, get our hearts and our minds focused on, on this study, and, and let's see what God wants to pour into us. Lord, we thank you tonight for the ability to come together and to study your word. We thank you, of course, for your salvation always. And God, help us to put any cares of the world that we might have to the side right now. Help us to just open up our hearts to plow off the fallow ground so that the, the, the word would be implanted, the seed of your word would be implanted there, that it would grow in our lives. Help us to grow in relationships. Anoint this Bible study, Lord, to, to be what you want it to be. Let it be your word spoken and received. Help us, Lord, to receive it, to walk in it, and, and just to bear fruit in our lives. And we give you praise for what you're going to do through it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Lisa's going to start us off, and uh, hopefully I can uh, keep up with the slides. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to start off by talking about seven signs of healthy relationships. And some of you might have heard these before, but we're going to talk about them from a biblical perspective and Neil's going to cover some of these in a little more uh, depth in what he has prepared. But I wanted to say before uh, we get started that, you know, the marvelous thing about the word is that sometimes when we hear the word, it's like we're looking at a mirror and we see an imperfection or we see something that we don't like. And we say, oh, Lord, we need your help to change that. And so my prayer tonight is that there would be maybe a seed sown in your heart tonight, especially for our young people, that will help you to view everyone that you come in contact with um, against what it means to have a relationship and to build relationships according to the word. Um, so the first key tonight that I want to touch on is love. Well, that makes a lot of sense that love would be, um, one of the keys and more than anything else, solid relationships are characterized by love. 
In fact, love is supposed to be the defining characteristic of Christ. So to be a Christian is to be like Christ, and he has showed us what true love is. In John 13, 34 and 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And if we don't have that deep abiding love within the family of God, I would witness that the Holy Ghost probably isn't doing the work that it needs to do in your life um, or in those that are um, not filled with love for uh, their brothers and their sisters. And God demonstrated his profound love for us by wrapping himself in flesh and paying the complete and full price for our salvation. And we are called to love one another just as God loved us. And Christian love is much more than a feeling. It is a sturdy love that perseveres through thick and thin. And it is a sacrificial giving love. When our relationships are governed by love, everything else will fall into place. 1 Peter 4.8 says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And when we operate in love, we are able to work through struggles and difficulties, and we can forgive others and extend mercy to one another. The second key is humility. When we are humble, we are willing to listen to the opinions and ideas of others. And we don't treat others in a condescending manner. And we are willing to admit when we are wrong. And I think especially when you think about people coming into the church, how discouraging it might be if the saints and those that they see here treat them in a condescending manner. We need to look at when we have new ones that come and we want to build with them a relationship based on God's love and never be condescending. Even if they, you don't have one thing in common with them, um, you can reach out to them um, in love and in humility. And 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed <laughs> with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And humility doesn't mean that we have to have low self-esteem or think of ourselves as a loser. It means that we think rightly about ourselves. And humility causes us to realize that we are just like everybody else. Just because 
we are part of the kingdom of God and, and, and maybe we feel like we're elevated because we're on our way to heaven, we must still realize that we're no better than anybody else. And we don't always understand everything and we are prone to making mistakes just like everyone. And we don't always see everything clearly and we can still learn from each other. Romans 12.3 says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So why should we be humble? Because God pours out his grace on the humble. And he stands against those who are proud, but bestows grace and great blessings on the humble. Boy, for some reason, that just really struck me when I read that, that he stands against the proud, but he bestows humble, uh, great blessings on those that are humble. And if you want to see growth in your relationships, Ask God to help you grow in humility. Ask him to help you value others and not to think too highly of yourself. Um, and if you pray that prayer, get ready because he may just answer that prayer for you <laughs> and help you in the area of humility. And the third key is service. Jesus himself is our model of service. And when he came to the earth, he didn't demand that others serve him. Rather, he dedicated himself to serving others. In Mark 10.45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is a very incredible passage that even though Jesus is God and he came in flesh and he is the king of kings, he came as a servant and he spent his time healing the sick and blessing the poor and he washed the feet of his disciples and he sacrificed his life on the cross to save us from our sins. <clears throat> And never has the world seen such humility. The world believes that the way to greatness is to claw your way to the top and to step on others that might get in the way. But Jesus said just the opposite is true, that the way up is to go low. And so we're talking about relationships and keys to relationships. So when we serve others, they're going to feel God's love through us. And that's going to draw them close to us so that we can develop a long and a lasting and a solid relationship with them. And the fourth key is patience. The reality is that every person makes mistakes. And it doesn't matter what our age, where we are in life. We all have things that we struggle with and mistakes that we will make. And we all must own 
our struggles and our difficulties. If we want to have deep and meaningful relationships, we absolutely must be patient with each other. So that's within the church. Oh, that's easy for us, you know, while we're here tonight to think about. But our relationships in our families, our relationships with those that we work with, even the checkout person at Walmart or Meyer or wherever it is that you shop, we must be patient and kind just as God has showed us that we must be. And our patience with one another is rooted in God's patience toward us. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He is patient as we slowly grow in righteousness. And as we have new babes that are coming into the church, and we look and we say, oh, they should know that by now. Think about yourself and the things maybe that you are demanding patience from others or from the Lord. And God is showing to them patience um, in their path, in their um, way to righteousness. And sometimes it takes us years to make progress in different areas of our lives. Yet God doesn't hold that over us. And he is lovingly beside us each step of the way. And Psalms 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. And the fifth key uh, to strong and healthy relationships is acceptance. Now, to be clear, acceptance doesn't mean tolerance of sin or saying that everything is just okay. It does mean that we warmly welcome one another. If we don't create, or we should not create cliques and in-groups, which means that others are excluded. Um, I think that is so important to learn very early um, as we have new ones that come into the church. You know, maybe we don't quite know them. We don't know their interests, but yet we should always reach out and accept them for who they are. They are there just like us, trying to get to heaven and learning as we go. And so we need to uh, be accepting of those that we are in contact with. And if God is so overwhelmingly patient and accepting of us, then we must be patient and accepting of others. We don't demand that they change immediately. And we don't have a my way or the highway mentality. And when conflict arises, we patiently work through them. Now, at home, especially when there's children in the home and sibling rivalry. It's a tough thing to be patient and accepting of others. But where else but in the home is a great place to learn these aspects of what it means to show godly love and godly principles um, to others in our lives. And we should never make people feel that they have to earn our love. I think 
that would is the 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 lowest thing that we can do is to project that somebody has to earn our friendship or our love. God welcomes us with open arms. And we don't have to work for his love um, or to be welcomed into his presence. He gives it freely and he doesn't show favoritism. And so neither should we. And if you struggle to welcome others, ask God to give you his heart. Ask him to help you grow in acceptance of everyone that you interact with. And as you become more accepting, your relationships will be strengthened. And the sixth key is affection. And affection, a lot of times we think of as touchy-feely, but that's not always the case. Affection is a visible demonstration of love, and it can take on all forms. Giving gifts, hugging, serving, making meals for people, visiting, including people in activities that you have going on. They are tangible ways of showing a person that you truly love them. And think of all of the ways that Jesus showed affection um, to people while he was here on earth. He ate meals with tax collectors. He washed the feet of his disciples. He put his hand on the children when he blessed them. And he fed huge crowds. And he healed the sick. And Jesus didn't simply say that he loved people but he took action to demonstrate his love. Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. If Jesus was affectionate, then we too should be affectionate. And we should do all that we can to show people just how much we care about them. And I have seen this to be so true in working at the pantry. You know, sometimes you can smile and be gracious as people are coming through, but I know sometimes I, I work behind the desk, and sometimes if I just come out from behind that desk and just touch them on the shoulder, you know, touch them on the arm, and say, we're so glad that you are here today. Come back next Saturday and see us again. But there's just something about that reaching out to them with just a touch of affection, just a touch on the arm to convey the love that I feel in my heart. And if you are not naturally an affectionate person, ask the Lord to help you. He will give you the power to be affectionate, even if that's not what's in your normal wheelhouse to reach out. Just ask the Lord and he will give you that ability. And the seventh key is forgiveness. Forgiveness should be the hallmark of every Christian. And we've all had our sins, every single one forgiven by God. The forgiveness was secured for us by his precious blood. And if we've received such extravagant 
forgiveness from God, then we must extend that forgiveness to others. When we refuse to forgive, bitterness is the result. And if we hold grudges and refuse to be gracious to those who have wronged us, this is deeply hurtful to the Lord and destroys relationships. So not only those relationships with those around us, but if we hold bitterness in our heart, it's going to eventually destroy our relationship with God. There's an old saying that goes, holding a grudge is like drinking rat poison and expecting the rat to die. Unforgiveness is a terrible poison that eats away at us and destroys relationships. Tom Fred Tenney said, unforgiveness is a tree that produces one kind of fruit, bitterness. And forgiveness can be very difficult um, if we've been hurt by somebody. And it may not happen overnight. It may be a journey but God will help us move to complete and full forgiveness. And he can give you the power to let go of your grudges and extend forgiveness. So I'd like to just really quick name the seven keys again. Love, humility, service, patience, acceptance, affection, and forgiveness. Thank you. She did a great job. So now that you're used to her speed, you get me, and I'll try to keep the same level. Um, if you haven't heard me speak or teach before, I'm not usually too slow. So, um, and again, we're looking at kind of what the basic principles. Um, the Bible teaches us about different types of relationships, and we want to look more at different relationships we can apply them in <clears throat> next time. But um, Matthew 22, uh, 30, starting verse 36, says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Right? This, the scribe came to him, and Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And, and we've heard that one a lot, right? I mean, we've all heard that preached. And, <clears throat> but that last line, these two commandments, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And uh, it's kind of like if you have a powerful engine, but you don't have, have the gas to run it, you don't have any fuel, if it's not going to do you any good. If we don't love God and love each other, I read this to mean that the word of God can't do anything in us. It's not going to do anything. It's not going to do you any good to follow the law or listen to the prophets if you don't love. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so love is the, I, I think I can, you can say love is the fuel that the word of God runs on. <clears throat> we hear this a lot at, at, at weddings. Two are, are better than one, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. For 
he has no one to help him up. For again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. God created us for relationships. Uh, relationship with him, of course, but also with each other, right? It's not good that man be, is alone, right? We, we're called to be the church. We're called to be the church, the body of Christ. And that means we have to have relationships with each other, right? We can't be all here like, you know, like a, 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 a lap pool where they're swimming and having races and everybody just in their own lane doing their own thing. We can't, we're not called to, to, to live like that. We're called to dwell in unity of purpose and harmony with each other. And, and the only way that can happen is if love's in the middle, right? Love has to be at the center of everything we do. And obviously we need to have strong and, uh, a strong and growing relationship with God, but we have to have strong and growing relationships with each other. We can get stagnant in that. We can get stagnant in our relationship with God. We can get stagnant. You just start taking that person for granted. You're, and, and you stop putting in. Am I the only one that's guilty of this? Like you stop putting energy into that relationship and it, and it begins to die. And you wonder why they're not calling you one day. Like, oh, I haven't seen so-and-so in, in, in forever. Because we stopped putting anything into it. And so we, I really firmly believe this. I, I, I'm on kind of repeat here. Uh, I feel sorry for my wife because she keeps hearing me teach this all over the place. But, <laughs> but we need to be the body that Christ purchased with his precious blood. I've really felt God pressing this on me the last couple of months. I'm, I'm trying not to get super, I'm supposed to be teaching, not preaching. But we need to be the body. This is the time for the, for the church to be the church. We need to be the body of Christ. We need to minister to and to be ministered to. By the body. I mean, it's a two-way street. You've got to allow it to happen. So if you're isolating yourself and you're like, oh, I don't, we're going to jumping ahead maybe a little bit. You're not allowing people to minister to you. I would say you're not being the body there either. Hebrews 10.5, right? It says, therefore, when he came in the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. God put on flesh to have a body so that he could have relationships with his disciples. But after, the, after his death, burial, and resurrection, his spirit was poured out so that his church could be his body on the earth. We're to be his body. And, and we're now called to be Jesus to the world. And we're called to be his hands and feet so that we can do his works until he returns. And this means that our relationship should reflect him in all ways. All the things Lisa just taught. We should re relate to others in the way he related to others. Of course, our, our, our greatest example is Jesus. He taught and exampled how to love, right? He loved sinners. This got him in a lot of trouble, right? He, he, think about it. The woman who caught in adultery. Everybody was mad at him. The sinful woman that was washing his feet. Everybody at the dinner party was mad at him. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Everybody was mad at him. What are you doing with these guys, right? The woman at the well. Why are you talking to her? He loved the people that nobody else wanted. And the, what about the Roman soldier that, that stuck the spear in his side? Right? This guy might be most responsible for his death. And what did he do? He said he was pray, his, his last words were to pray for him to be forgiven. He loved 
the people that are hard to love. He, he loved the world, right? We all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. He loved us. He loved you and me. And, and he taught love. He taught, to, taught, we read it. He taught to love God. He taught about loving your neighbor. He taught about loving your enemies. Now it's starting to get hard, isn't it? And he taught us to love the church. And those last two might be in, those last three might be all the same thing. Um, Lisa read it earlier, but I'm going to repeat John 13 and 35. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If people come walking in here and we just look like everywhere else, why would they stay? Healthy churches come from healthy relationships. Anybody believe that? When a church is healthy and full of healthy relationships, you're, you're genuinely excited about coming to church with people. I heard Ken Gurley last week. I was at a conference, and he said, we should be having fun doing, you know, building the kingdom. We should look like we're enjoying ourselves. <laughs> and I was like, you know, that's right. So people should come in and be like, I want a piece of this, whatever is going on with these people. We should be enthusiastic about being in the kingdom. We should be enthusiastic about being with each other. And, and, and that ongoing sense of excitement and exuberance, is, you know, it, it's not visible just to each other. Like, that's going to encourage me. If I came in and I saw everybody was like, ha, oh, we're so glad we're here together. I, that would encourage me. Would it encourage you? If somebody was like, hey, I'm super glad you're here. I, I, and it wasn't just, you know, that's the, you know, it's like talking about the weather. It's just a, a, something you say just because that's what you're supposed to say. But you, we really meant it. But it, not only is that visible to, each, to, to the saints that we go to church with, but it's visible to visitors that attend. So let's make sure there's no ought between us because I really believe we've got a, branch, a bunch of brand new folks that are about to walk in here and they don't need a sense that there's some trouble at the family reunion. Okay? Uh, and and resol so resolving conflict within the body of Christ is, is, is just of paramount importance in the church because it's going to help us become a healthy church and in a healthy church, God can come down and bless us. And a healthy church can attract other people. So how many people want, want, want God to be attracted to this place, want other people to be attracted to this place, right? God loves to bless a church that promotes having healthy relationships. I really believe that. He, he loves a place where people get along with each other. And he loves a place where the church promotes and encourages a sense of unity. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, I'm adding that in, when we dwell in unity. How beautiful. That's, God says that's beautiful. Yes. Right? So how important are our relationships with each other? How important are those relationships to God? Well, look at this. Matthew 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I'm going to use the ESV uh, translation here because I just love the way it's phrased. It says, so if you're offering, uh, Matthew 5, 23 and 24, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift be there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I read that to mean we can't get right with God if we can't get right with each other. You can tell me how you can. Pastor, you can come listen to this and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, isn't that what it says? Our sacrifices, uh, they don't have anything that he doesn't respect it if we've got ought with each other. 
It's not worth anything to him. He said, go fix that, because you can't get right with this. Like Lisa said, that bitterness will destroy your relationship with the person, but it will destroy your relationship with God. And, and, and maybe that was Cain's problem, right? He offered a, not only was he making the wrong kind of sacrifice, but his heart wasn't right. And that's always what God's looking at. He's looking at the condition of our hearts. We can't, you can't just fake it. You can't just show up and go through the motions and, and do all the things and, 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 you know, go through the motions of worship while you're holding a grudge against somebody and think you're pleasing to God. So I, why is it so difficult? <laughs> why is it so hard to love like Jesus loved? Because love requires trust. And when you trust, that requires vulnerability. This is a word. I remember I, was, I taught something along these lines probably seven or eight years ago, and somebody said, don't bring up that vulnerability stuff. <laughs> Because we don't like that, right? Because what you're doing is you're giving somebody permission. You're giving somebody the ability to hurt you. But isn't that what Jesus did? And when you give people the ability to hurt you, guess what? Sometimes they're going to do it. If you're going to love, you're going to really love like Jesus loves, you're going to get hurt. Right? You got, we've got some, some, some saints that have been living for God for a long time, and I, I know they've been hurt. I know it. They probably could give you a lot of testimonies about that. Uh, you're going to get betrayed, mistreated, lied on, lied about, taken advantage of. But, but Jesus says we ought to love anyway. Matthew 18, 21 and 22, Peter asks, you know, you're not the first person um, uh, to, to have this problem because Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how often shall I, my brother sin against me that I, and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So you can just forget doing the math. I know what it works out to, but forget the math. Jesus is teaching a concept here. He's not saying there's a, like, a bare minimum you got to do. He's saying just keep forgiving. Just keep showing mercy. Just keep showing mercy. When you, and you think, and I, if you're like me, you read this and you go, well, what if they did this and you don't understand? You know, just keep forgiving them. It doesn't matter what they did. And that's not to say we shouldn't have boundaries, but God wants us to resolve our conflicts, not build better walls between us. John wrote in his fourth chapter of his epistle, that, his first epistle, that if we say we love God but don't love our brother, then we're liars. We're lying to people. We might be lying to God, and we may even be lying to ourselves. Right? It says, if I, anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Verse 20, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God. I'm going to repeat that. You can't love God whom you have not seen. So that's a tough, that's a tough verse to read, isn't it? Because it's hard to love some people. Um, but John says pretty clear here, you're a liar. You can't, if you can't love your brother, how can you say you love, who you can see, how can you love God whom you haven't seen? And I just want to say this. I think the principle of forgiveness gets easier when you realize it's really about how much you trust God. 
right? When we don't forgive, when we're holding a grudge, what we're, when we're seeking revenge or, or we want to get even with somebody, what we're really saying is, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you when somebody does me wrong. I don't trust that you're going to take care of this, right? When somebody does us wrong, all we really need to do is trust that God will deal with them right. and then trust that God will deal with us. Right. It's really that simple. God, you're going to work this out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, God's still in the mercy seat. Mm-hmm. Anybody know that? He's still sitting in the mercy seat. He's not in the judgment seat yet. So why are you? Right. Mm-hmm. You're, you're sitting in somebody's seat that you may not want to be trying to supplant. And I think sometimes we don't want to forgive because our flesh doesn't like God's justice. Right? We like our own version of justice. We have our own mindset of what's right and what's fair. Jonah had this problem. He tried to run away from God, right? Y'all know Jonah? He had a little fish adventure, fishing adventure, right? He he tried to run away from God because he didn't want God to show mercy on people that he hated. And I wonder, right? And so God sends him on a little, you know, takes him on this little fishing trip and, and brings him to where he needs to be. But God's not manipulating Jonah's life. I wonder if Jonah ever realized that his trip to to Nineveh spared him from a lifetime of bitterness and resentment. If he'd have been able to go the way he wanted to go, would would his heart have ever gotten right? I don't know that it did. did, The Bible doesn't really tell us what happens after after Nineveh is spared. And he still had bitterness to work out, right? God is trying to show. And he's going to keep working on your heart if you let him. He kept trying to show him, like, do you do well to be angry about the plant? I just want to, this little side note, if God ever asks you a question, it's rhetorical. It's like he's not puzzled. He does not like he doesn't understand, know the answer. You don't need to tell him. You probably ought to go, you know, what is, like Ezekiel will say, oh, Lord, you know. That's a good answer, <laughs> right? He's asking you, when God asks you a question, it's because he wants you to reflect on something. You're not getting something right. So, it, 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 it's, it's easier to practice love and mercy with people who we like, right? And people that are sorry for about it or whatever, right? Or, and it's easy, or, or that we perceive to be like us. You know, if they're, if they're like me, it's easier for me to show mercy and to love them. But Jesus didn't teach us to love people who love us, right? That's not, he didn't just teach us. I, I, I missed a word there. He didn't just teach us to love the people that love us back. He taught us and was our example of love your enemy. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. You've heard it said. I'm in in the the Sermon on the Mount a lot tonight. You've heard it said that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic. This was a big deal in these times. Let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. There's a lot of giving here, a lot of, this is a hard commandment here. And I just want to point out that Old Testament command that was, that was the, in the law of Moses, the eye for an eye. But, but what happened was Israel began to pervert it. They twisted it around. The original law meant if somebody caused you harm, you should pay at least equal to the damage you caused. Make up, make an amends. You did something that caused hurt to this person. Go, go, go even it out. Do what you can. Do at least make it equal. Do what you can to make it equal. 
And Jesus says, take it even further than that. But, but so the law was for the guilty party to repay, not for the victim to be able to demand revenge. Does that make sense? But they, that's what they turned it into. Like, well, if somebody, you know, dents your car, go dent their car. That's what they were, and, and, and Jesus is like, you guys got this all mixed up. You got it all backwards. And we need to keep that principle in mind when we look at the instructions for biblical relationships in the New Testament. We're going to go into that more next week, like I said. But, you know, there's instructions for husbands. That's for husbands to follow. Right? The instructions for the wives, that's not for you, Phil. That's not for you to go to tell Jessica she's not, hey, you're not submitting like you're supposed to. Right? That. that She's supposed to follow that. <laughs> hey, you can call them out. Listen, I've been jumping ahead. It goes the other way around, too. Right? But I, I tell every husband, when you're willing to die for her, the way Christ was willing to die for you, when you were at your worst. So think of, of, of um, Hosea. He married Gomer. You know the story. He married this prostitute. She kept selling herself. And he'd have to publicly go buy her back over and over and over again. How humiliating. Well, Jesus bought you back. And when you, husbands, when you love your wife that way, you can start complaining about her submissiveness, okay? That's kind of how it works. So I'm jumping ahead, but, and it goes for parents and children too, but we're going to talk about all that next week. Um, Apostle Paul gave us a good summary of all this in Romans 12. And I like, I sometimes call this chapter the cheat sheet for living life as a Christian. Don't just read this, but man, this is a pretty good if you can get this down, you're, doing, you're going to be doing pretty good. Just to select verses here, uh, starting verse 9 through 13, let love be without hypocrisy. So you can't be a hypocrite, right? You, you, you need to live by what you say. So love people and, and don't be a hypocrite about it. Abhor what's evil. Don't, don't cling to what's good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. So, you know... I'll, all you folks who, who, and I'm guilty of this sometimes, I usually wait, and if nobody moves towards the buffet line, I'm like, okay, I gave you your shot. But everybody, you know, if you've got to have the front parking space, the space closest to the door, you've got to be first in line to get the cookies, that's not giving preference to somebody else. You should be giving preference to somebody else. Give, give the honors to somebody else. Don't lag in diligent. Be... be, be um, Consistent in what you do, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints. So, you know, come, come hand out food. Come help people. Somebody, Phil wants me, I, I think I may be out of town tomorrow. We may have to go somewhere uh, later in the day. Uh, he wants me to move, help him move some furniture tomorrow. I think. <laughs> And then I had to read this. This is a need of the saint. I'm like, man, <laughs> given to hospice. So I can't be a hypocrite here. I got I to gotta help him move. It's just a mattress. But, uh, but given to hospitality, right? Um, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Oh, now it's starting to get really hard again, right? Those first ones weren't that bad. This one's really hard. Somebody who persecutes me, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same. So we we got to be on the same page. Somebody's hurting. If your brother or sisters in the church are hurting, we, you know, we had a family just had, lost somebody. We should be mourning with them. We need to support them. If somebody has, has, has 
something great, God blesses them, we should rejoice with them. Well, what if I'm not being blessed? You should rejoice with them. <laughs> right? That's having preference for one another. Uh, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. And do not be wise in your own opinion. I won't call anybody here out, Brother White. Just... <laughs> Repay no one. Now it gets really. I tell you what. I had. I taught. I taught on Romans 12 one time at the at the county jail, and this when we got here, people were weeping. Uh, Men were weeping. These were there were murderers in this room that were weeping. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men, if it is possible. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So here we see again, you get, if, you're think, if your mind is on revenge and getting even, repay no one evil for no one. I don't care who they are, what they did, how good of a person you think they are. Don't rep, you, you, we, we're not to repay them with evil. And I, I love, though, too, that Paul says here, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with everybody. Because some people don't want to live peaceably with you. So... Avoid them. You know, we don't have to invite chaos all the time into our lives. That's not, that's not, that's not what the Bible's telling us. Um, and then finally, verse 19, beloved, do not avenge yourself. So we get back on track with the, the revenge here. Don't, don't seek to get even, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will re- So who does vengeance belong to? It belongs to the Lord. You and me should not be... Do, do, You've taken something that doesn't belong to you. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, we don't do that to, to try to heap the coals. What this is just telling you is that, you know, hopefully they're going to they're gonna feel, feel something about this. Like, hey, I've been really a dirty dog to this person. And look how nice they're being to me. I don't get it. Why are you being so nice to me, Tom? I've been so mean to you. You ever be mean but, back? <laughs> no, well, that's what we're teaching yeah. against. But if, you, you, if you're being nice, if I'm being mean to you and you're being nice to me, I'm going to be puzzled by that, right? I'm not going to, and you're showing me exactly what Jesus is to us. Um, there, there, there's emotions are the currency of relationships, and, and I, I, I've been working with, with, with people in relationships for a really long time, and I've kind of, this, this is just sort of my thought process here, but I, I think there's four main emotional currencies that you can run relationships on. You can run them on fear or guilt or shame, or you can run them on love. And, and, and love, and I think there, love is not control. You don't control somebody that you love. You don't try to get them to do things, and you don't try to make them do stuff if you love them. Um, and, and if you're trying to control somebody, you need to ask, do I really love them? The only, you know, the, the only person the Bible ever tells you to control is yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. We're not called to try to make anybody do anything. God doesn't even make anybody do anything. He gives you liberty to do whatever you want to do. He tells you what you should do. He may give you some strong leading and give you some things to try to get you on the right track, 
But he doesn't make anybody do anything. Um, and so when we're not operating in love, we're, we're generally operating in those other three, fear, guilt, or shame, maybe all of them. Some people would probably include anger in that list, but anger, I think, is really a secondary response to feeling hurt or afraid. And it's, it's just our effort to control the situation. And so when we're operating in those other things, those produce efforts to control, to, to manipulate people. And for example, when, when we pretend to be somebody we're not, to avoid, you know, anybody like being rejected? I got news for you, it never feels better. You're never gonna enjoy that. It's like eating pe pickled beets. I don't know how to make that taste good, right? Rejection's never gonna taste good. So, so, but, so what do people do? If you've been really wounded, like I've lived a life of a lot of, a, of rejection and abandonment, and I used to really pretend to be somebody I wasn't. I went through all kinds of phases in my life trying to look like whoever you wanted me to be, and, and, and that's manipulation, right? It, you're robbing the other person by lying about who you are. We aren't making an honest transaction. Like if you were selling a car and you concealed that there was something wrong with it, that would be pretty unethical, right? Anybody agree? You don't. You, you should tell the truth. Like, hey, I was telling my wife I sold this boat to a guy one time, and I, and I knew the fuel pump was was gone, and you couldn't get one. We had we had looked and looked and looked all over the internet, and we couldn't find it. And I was like, oh, this guy's gonna give me the money I want. I'm not gonna tell him about it. And I just had the conviction come on me, and I said, listen, buddy. <laughs> This is the deal. You're not going to find this part. And he says, nah, I like a challenge. Here's your money. I said, well, okay. I was honest with him, and I felt a whole lot better. <laughs> like he did. But, but if I'd have taken that, I would have, I, I don't know, I would have felt guilty for a long time. Um, so if it's unethical to do stuff like that, how unethical, how much more unethical it is, is it to hide who we really are and prevent others from being informed consumers of us? And, and what... What do we really gain when we do that, right? They, they don't love you, they love who you pretend to be. If we want real love in our relationships, we need to be authentic and real about who we are. We can also manipulate by not being honest about what we feel or what we want. We, we, we can pretend that we're okay with something the other person's doing when we really aren't. That's, that's not telling the truth, right? You're not having a real relationship with that person. Anybody got to think of another example, a way you can be manipulative in a relationship? Like you can threaten people, right? You can try to intimidate. That's the way people manipulate. You do this or I'm going to do that. Or how about guilt trips? Man, you're, a, you're, you're what kind of Christian are you to do something? Like you don't give me what I want. Not, I'm the only one that's ever happened to. I, so when a relationship is based in control, secrets begin to develop. I, got a, I love this quote by Michael Dye. He created something called the Genesis Process. It's a recovery program. And he says, secrets lead to shallow relationships to other people and with God. Secrets are, are where the devil gets a foothold in us and in the church. Right, right. Secrets are a form of isolation. We hear all the time about how the devil likes to get you by yourself. When you're holding secrets, he gets you alone in your mind. And we're, when we're holding secrets, we're not letting anybody in on what's really going on with us. We're left to fend for ourselves. We're trying to solve our hurts and our fears on our own. Well, what would have happened if, if Eve went to Adam and said, Honey, you know that fruit thing? I think that fruit probably isn't so bad. I think I'm going to go take a bite of it. Right? All of human history could be different. Think of any of the failures that you see of people in the Old Testament or in the Bible or even New Testament, Right? If they'd have stopped and just said, here's what's really going on with me. What if, what if David had said, hey, 
I don't know, one of his, his uh, if he'd have gone to, uh, uh, who was the pro Nathan, and said, Nathan, there's this good-looking woman out there. I've been lusting after her. Might have whole, been a whole different story, right? But he didn't. He kept covering, or he could have told Uriah, hey, sorry, man, this is what happened. But he didn't. He went from being just, an, not only from being an adulterer to a murderer, right? He, this is what happens when you start working in secrets and you start trying to manipulate things. You know, it's no wonder that uh, James directed the church to, in, in chapter 5 to confess your, this is James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another and pray so that you may be healed. We have to not just confess to God. that we, We're forgiven when we confess to him, but we're confessed to one another so that we can be healed. And sometimes there's, you know, there is instantaneous delivery, but sometimes there's process delivery, and it takes a while. And I'm telling you right now, that comes from, we're as sick as our secrets. We've got to get rid of those secrets. It's part of our healing process to be open and honest. Oh, I'm going to run out of time. I'm going to go quick. People learn to hide things in relationships to protect themselves. They get wounded, and in an effort to avoid being hurt the same way, they hide, and they lack authenticity. Um, and the sad irony is when we do this, we don't actually protect ourselves. They, we, the walls we build to protect our hearts become prisons that prevent us from, being, from the true intimacy and relationships that God designed us for. And if we're ever going to heal from the hurts of the past and have loving relationships God created us for, then we're going to have to learn to reject the lies that we bought into because of past relationships and learn to be and past hurts and learn to be authentic in our relationships with God and in our relationships with each other. But that's scary because, like I said, it makes us vulnerable in the place we've been hurt the most. So why must we have love in our lives? Well, for one thing, God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Right? And this is love, that, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought, also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us because he has given us. So you need the Holy Ghost, right? Because he's given us the Holy Ghost. Like Lisa said, if you're, we're not loving each other, do we have the Holy Ghost operating? Are we letting the Holy Ghost lead us? Are we being led by the Spirit? Uh, if you all got the Holy Ghost, we should be loving one another. Don't quench the Spirit. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love is a primary. Love is, the, love is the, as I said, we, it's the basis for everything, for the word to work in us. Paul wrote it this way. Though I speak with the tongues of men, of, of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love. I am nothing. He didn't say I have nothing. I, people, I hear that people quote that all the time. He said, I'm nothing. I am nothing. Mm -hmm. And though I bestow all my... So he said, he's talking, what is he talking about? The gifts of the Spirit. You can be operated, you can be used in the gifts and be nothing because you're not loving. And so I bestow all my gifts. You can be service. I'm going to bestow all my gifts to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it doesn't do me any good. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love, right? And, and, and we see here love suffers long, and, and, and 
is kind. Love doesn't envy. More instructions, right? Don't parade yourself. So we got to get rid of the pride. The pride is the enemy of love. And, and don't behave rudely. We don't want to seek its own. It's not provoked. We shouldn't, you know, if we're getting provoked, we're not loving. It thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity. We shouldn't be happy when evil things are happening or somebody's doing wrong. We want to rejoice in the truth. And here's the, here's the, here's the bears all things, but love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That should define our attitudes and relationships. Standard of love is to measure our to measure ourselves by is Jesus Christ, right? For Romans five seven, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Romans five eight, but God shows His love for us that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love, Jesus said, has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. That means, no matter how bad you treat me. Brother White, I should be willing to lay my life down for you. I remember that. <laughs> That's a hard commandment. How do we demonstrate love? Uh, we just went through us, uh, the 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, Philippians 2 and 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. So don't be doing stuff just for yourself, but in lowliest of mind, let each, uh, each esteem others better than himself. Lift each other up. Pump somebody else up. Help somebody else's ministry be successful. God's going to bless you for that. Don't do things just for your own gain. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but the interest of others. Uh, Colossians 3 tells us lots of stuff about this. Uh, I'm just going to, because I'm running out of time, I'm going to go real quick. Above all, the ESV, the, 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 the verses 14 and 15, put on. I just want to say, when he says put on, right, it says Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one. We have to put those things on. You may not feel like doing it. That's what it means. Wear it. Just walk around in it for a while. It'll become you. And, and so, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And, the, and the, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, in which indeed you were called to be one body and be thankful. Ephesians has some more instructions. Therefore, putting away, Ephesians chapter 4, put away lying. Let you speak truth to his neighbor. We're members of one. We're in this thing together. We're connected. If we're lying to each other, what are we doing? We're not going to get anywhere. Be angry and do not sin. So we might get mad at each other. Lisa might get mad at me when I don't put the dishes away. That doesn't mean she gets to throw them at me. Again, I, no, I, that's never happened. That's a joke. But no, right? Because, and if you got a problem with somebody, says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Give no, nor give place. That when we did, when we walking around with grudges and we're angry, we're giving a place for the devil. Don't let corrupt words. Okay, you start talking nonsense stuff, terrible stuff. You're making those crude jokes. You're not helping your brother and sister. But what is good for necessary edification, let that impart grace to the hearers. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, we have to put that away. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. And then finally, you flip the page in the next, the chapters are there just so we can find our way around. They don't, didn't exist when Paul wrote it. Walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling... 
God loves this. When we walk in love, man, that's like fresh baked bread to God. <laughs> right? Have we ever? All right. Um, so I got, I did, I'm going to close real quick with a story. And we'll, we're, well, I got one, I'm one minute over, but Lisa, Lisa went real slow, so blaming her. It's not that I had too much. Yes, yes. Uh, so I, but I heard a story recently, and I, I think this ties it together. I, I, I just want to share this. There was a farmer who had some good cows, and, and he milked them every day, and, and he was really successful. They produced a lot of milk. He was making a lot of money. And, and one day, though, his neighbor saw the farmer taking one of the good, house, good cows down to the slaughterhouse. And he asked the farmer, why would you take your valuable cow to the slaughterhouse? And his reply was, she kicked me three times today. He said, one is too many, twice calls for harsh discipline, but after the third time, she's hamburger. <laughs> and he looked at his neighbor and he said these words. He said, you know, life's just too short to live with a kicking cow. <laughs> so he just went and killed the cow. Right? There's, there's a lot of wisdom in that statement, though. Life's too short to live with, with a kicking cow. It's too short to live with kicking cows. Life's too short not to resolve issues that are always kicking you and tripping you up and keeping you from being who you're supposed to be in the kingdom of God. And life's too short to kick other people. So whether you're the kicker or the kicky, let's get rid of the cow. Right? Because life's too short. You know, if God's going to use APC as a place for revival, then, then this must be a place that creates and models and expects and even demands healthy relationships. Life's too short to live with kicking cows. <laughs>